0: morning thanks for tuning in thanks for listening once again it is friday october the 8th and again i come to you from lexington kentucky ahead of what promises to be a fantastic weekends racing at Keeneland, opening day today with the Grade 1 Alcibiades stakes for two-year-old Phillies. It's two-year-olds who are taking centre stage in the UK this weekend as well with Dubai Future Champions Weekend. Uh, very short price favourites in both the Phillies mile today and in the Frankel Philly owned by Cheebly Park and trained by John Gosden. and the native trail, Charlie Appleby's star two-year-old in the Dali Dewhurst stakes tomorrow. I welcome Jane Mangan into the show. Jane's been in Newmarket all week. At Tattersall's Sales. And I'll start off, Jane, by asking you whether Dubai Future Champions Weekend will do what it says on the tin.
1: Well, this weekend could very well throw up the champion juvenile Philly and Coles in Europe, but maybe Nick, not necessarily in the races we think they're going to come from.
0: Okay, I'll ask you in a few moments where you think they're going to come from. But let's talk about the group ones first of all, the the Phillies Mile today and the Dewhurst stakes tomorrow. Is this just a A cut-and-shut case of Inspiral today, native trail tomorrow. Thank you very much. Good night.
1: If only racing was that straightforward. It obviously isn't. Uh, The Phillies Mile is a deep race today, nine runners, and I think a lot of these Phillies are mid distance types next year. These could have a couple of Oaks contenders in here. Magical Lagoon for Jessica Harrington, the all-conquering Jessica Harrington this year, uh, is completely overlooked, having... Uh, run down Agartha, or not Agartha, Albula at the Curra. She's very smart staying filly on only her second start and she's a sister to the King George winner Novelist, don't forget that either. I think she's quite an underrated filly. Uh, Inspiral, obviously, is the headline act Tree from Tree, has been very taking and I suppose that race at Doncaster it was only the last furlong where she really started to extend away. And another filly Coming from a yard, which their two-year-olds have only in the last month or six weeks started to take off, is Concert Hall. Uh, she was fourth behind Discoveries in the Moyglare. She looked like she got tactically outpaced that day, but up to a mile in the Well Park last time. Concert Hall, Dubawi out of the Epsom Oaks winner was, was well on top of the line, and I think she probably is the value of the race against the favourites.
0: I like Concert Hall as well. Tomorrow's Dali Dewhurst Stakes features the Godolphin owned Native Trail, the horse that was purchased as a breeze up horse, a two year old breeze up horse by Oasis Dream. He's a big, powerful horse. He won a Group 1 in Ireland very impressively last time. Will it be a disappointment if he's beaten, or does he have feasible. Opposition?
1: It's for me, might might well be a disappointment if he gets beaten. Basically, because I thought we had good two year olds in Ireland until he came over to the national stakes and blew Point Lonsdale et al away at the Curra. He's physically a really imposing horse. I was very impressed with him that day. Charlie Appleby usually brings uh, quite a good two year old to the national stakes and. For me, if he gets beaten in the Dewhurst, then that really raises serious questions about the Irish horses that he beat at the Curragh. But Bayside Boy, of course, conquered the Queen's horse in the Champagne. Straight answer supplemented uh, uh, after winning the Blenheim at Ferry House. Not something that Airlines typically does, but... I suppose the two Geraldine's horses, after disappointing at the previous New Market meeting, just have a few questions to answer there. And don't underestimate Glanthorn. There's shades of tenebrism about Glanthorn. We haven't seen him since way back at the start of the season, where I thought I was at the correct. I thought this horse might win the Coventry, but we haven't actually seen him since. But when has that ever been a barrier to Aidan O'Brien winning a race?
0: And is it just, Jane, worth... Reminding ourselves now, you know I like fresh content on this on this podcast. I'm, I don't like refried beans, but I feel we should remind ourselves uh, what Charlie Appleby said when I asked him last week who was the best two-year-old in his stable. <laughs>
2: Beaten or unbeaten at group level. Um,
0: but, uh... <laughs> all right, so here's the deal: you've got an unbeaten Group One winner in Native Trail, and then you've got a horse that, for about three furlongs the other day in Caribous, looked like a bit of a freak, and then didn't win. So I don't know; I can't work it out.
2: Uh, I'd have to say, going forward, I, you know, like I say, you've got an unbeaten horse in Native Trail, and what he's done, you, you can't, you can't knock it at all. Um, but Caribous, in the heart of hearts, has always been. I felt potentially the the best of the the two. Ne- they've never been put together, but just as you know, we we know those Dubai's inside out, and and uh, we feel, and uh, he's always excited as from the spring. He's just, you know, he's a horse. As I've spoken to the team, we could have ran him in May, and, and I would have been confident that he would have won wherever he placed him. Um, but just for this, you know, the his physique was always going to uh, benefit from just being a bit more relaxed with him and giving him the time. And, uh, you know, the other day it was unfortunate and and after the race, I never like, you know, we're a very fortunate position. We don't have to uh, come up with all these, um, you know, sort of excuses and, you know, of why, what, why and what happened. But, um, you know, a few hours later, William and I both spoke about it, watched the videos and, and just William said, Charlie. At the end of the day, he said, I didn't expect him to do what he did when I asked him. He said, you know, our plan was always to sort of you know, track that lead uh, and, and start to build a gallop. Um, because we knew, we, we, we felt that we would see the mile out well. Um, but William just said he travelled so well. And when I just picked him up, he says he was electric. Um, and he said, but I had to keep the momentum going then. Um, so, you know, it was no fault of Williams. He's a, a horse that yeah, he hadn't shown that that turn of foot that we saw there um, quite explosively as should we say at home so um, I've never worried to get beat at that level we just know we've got a good horse on our hands and um, you know we know for the future um, what we need to be doing with
0: it. Well there you go Charlie Appleby there speaking to me last week he was pretty explicit there Jane you hinted at Karibas's potential at the beginning of the program and he goes in the autumn stakes tomorrow he might yet be the best two-year-old this weekend.
1: Yes, um, there was there was two furlongs from the three to the one of the Royal Lodge where I thought, my God, this is this is Frankel, this is the race that Frankel won, and we're seeing something similar here. But of course, he had just been too keen; he raced too exuberantly, and he didn't get home up the hill when he met the rising ground at Newmarket. But he was beaten by a very good horse. And now I'd say the main objective, one, get him to settle, get him to learn, because if he's going to be an effective three-year-old, he's going to have to race far more professionally than he did in the Royal Lodge. And two, this is a race that has been, you know, targeted by Godolphin in particular. Last year, won by one ruler. 2017, you saw Gayath. 2016, you saw Best Solution. Okay,
0: Jane, from race course to sales ring, but still in Newmarket, you've been there all week at Tat. Part one. What have you been doing?
1: I've been Charlie in the chocolate factory. Really, um, if you are into bloodstock, this is the best place in in Europe to be for sure. And just been seeing some extravagant sales. I think it has been selective in parts. Listening to the vendors, they uh, seem to agree with that.
0: Well, let's hear from one of the vendors now. And we've been following all the yearlings from Watership Down Stud as they've headed to the sale ring in Tattersall's this week. And we've heard all about the intensive preparation that they've gone through from farriers and vets and nutritionists and everybody involved. Now it's time to wrap things up with Simon Marsh. And last night they had the penultimate lot to go through. Charlotte was there till the bitter end and caught up with Simon to assess how the sale had gone.
3: Um, I think the sale has been, um, it's been quite difficult. Um, but there's obviously been some incredible highlights in it. Um, it's very selective, like, like always, and you do have to obviously bring a horse up here which um, ticks all the boxes. So um, although we've sold some horses very, very well, we've um, had some that have disappointed and, um, and two or three that we've, we've bought back.
4: The obvious standout is the See the Stars out of Somidar who made 1.2 to Charlie Gordon Watson. Was that a bit of a surprise, or was it expected?
3: Um, I, it wasn't a surprise what the horse made. It was a very big surprise who bought it, um, mm-hmm. and um, he was the most exceptionally nice horse. So we always came here with big expectations that he would he would make a really good price in the ring, and he deserved it. He was a one of the most incredible families in the stud book and um, he was a beautiful individual, is a beautiful individual. Um, no, the more surprising thing about the whole thing that was that um, my very, very good friend Bill Farish bought the horse and um, I had not one single iota of an idea that he was even interested in the horse. Um, and so when Charlie bought him and showed me the ticket as to who he's bought him for. I, I literally couldn't believe it. But he, anyway, Bill has bought him for a, um, a syndicate, um, and he will race in England. Uh, Bill is American, comes from Lane's End Farm in um, in America. He runs Lane's End, where they stand some wonderful stallions like Quality Road. Um, so, but it's been a fantastic farm forever, and. Um, So what he's going to do is he's going to um, syndicate the horse into 40 shares and um, I think he's going to sell the shares for 45 or 50 thousand dollars each. He said to me today that the demand has been quite incredible of people ringing him wanting to get involved so um, and then hopefully the horse will, will fulfill the potential that everybody expects of him and one day might even go to stud but um, no, it's a a really good idea and I'm sure it's going to be really, really popular and he might well do it again.
4: And I was listening to an interview that Charlie Gordon Watson did after the sale and he sort of said it was quite a last minute thing, you know, he only knew two hours before. So it makes it quite tricky then to put reserve on these horses because it's hard to gauge who's on them.
3: Well you've got, what you've got to do, in in my view, is you've got to um, value the horse um, and you know, you've obviously got a lot of money involved in getting the horse to the sale, and then you've got to um, assess as to how, what value you're happy to take the horse home to race him. Um, and in this case, um, we put a reserve of 500,000 on, and then we were going to support the horse to a value of 600,000. At a price which we would be happy to have, have raced him, and been obviously disappointed if he hadn't made that in the ring. But after that, he was on his own, and in fact, I don't think we ever had a bid on the horse in the ring. Um, there was there was a lot of people interested in him, and um, at the end of the day, there were three people who bid over a million pounds for him. Um, one person bid a million and another Sheikh Mohammed bid 1.1 and then Charlie bid 1.2 so it's encouraging that the market is such that we can have three people bidding at that level
4: How important is it to you that these horses go on to a good trainer, you know, Joseph O'Brien bought a couple and serve Godolphin, because obviously you've got the mares at home, they're not pin hooks
3: Well it's absolutely vital and and Bill still hasn't decided what trainer this horse is going to, but um I'll be very confident that he will pick the right trainer for the horse. Um, but no, it's, it's it's very important these horses go to trainers who are going to get the um, fulfil the greatest potential out of them.
4: And just you mentioned, I think there was three have gone unsold. What? Where will they go now? What happens to them?
3: Um, they will be retained by their owners, and they'll now go to breaking yards or to the trainers which they choose to have to train the horses and. Um, and incredibly um, mean, we bought one horse back ourselves, the Lloyd Webbers did um, a a Shamadal Colt out of the Fugue Um, we really liked the horse and interesting the Fugue herself she came up here uh, to to Tattersall's book one and um, nobody was interested in her so I actually withdrew her before she ever got to the ring through lack of interest and um, she went on to be the champion that she was so it's definitely not a bad thing to end up having to take them home and hopefully lightning will strike twice and, and the, you know the Shamadal the Fugue cult which will go to John Godson um, will be as good as his mother
4: Well, I think it'll be extremely exciting for us all to follow these horses then next year and the year after to how they get on. But thank you very much for your time and well done this week.
3: Yeah, well, I hope um, we've enjoyed it and I um, I hope all of your listeners have enjoyed it. And I hope that it's given some insight as to what goes on in trying to get these horses in the best possible condition to the sales.
4: Yeah, and I think what it has done, especially though, is show just how hard and how much effort goes in from everyone behind the scenes and things that you wouldn't even imagine.
3: Yeah, I mean, it is a massive team effort and at Watership Down we are incredibly lucky to have some fantastic people who work there and Terry's been with us for nearly 30 years and the team around him are just brilliant so without all of that and all the people and the farriers and gary and um, alistair and polly and all the team we we couldn't have got the horses here and we couldn't have achieved the results that we have
0: simon marsh there with a a candid and full appraisal of the ups and downs of the week at tattersalls jane a a couple of interesting little subplots i thought just worth touching on one was to see cheveley park and judmont bidding against each other on quite an expensive filly in the year that we lost both their principals, Khaled Abdullah and David Thompson.
1: Uh, the none and ever in question uh, that uh, Mrs Thompson eventually secured, that was a sign of stud farms really searching for outcrosses for their stallions. I suppose Chibi Park and Judmont both have their own stallions. A lot of them have Northern Dancer blood. So they were looking to neutralise that with uh, well-bred fillies from an outcross line but it was really encouraging to see the stoke farms really active uh the other side of it is of course we didn't have shadwell who shadwell were outstanding at putting uh, a floor on certain lots at 200 300 uh, whereas in contrast we had major prices but very selective in in small numbers and um, so Of course, it consolidates the top of the market, but perhaps the middle to lower tiers weren't as strong. But I think the absence of Shadwell will particularly be felt next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in book two.
0: And you mentioned Shadwell. Shadwell, of course, formerly, but no longer. Also the sponsors of uh, the Turf Mile in Keeneland, which I will be covering for NBC Sports Network tomorrow and which features last year's Breeders' Cup Mile winner, Order of Australia, trained by Aidan O'Brien, Jane is Order of Australia still to be regarded as a, a top-notch racehorse and has he got more Grade 1 glory in him, do you think?
1: I do believe this weekend could be his uh, time to shine because this family in particular, sent his Dream, his sister Erdessa, was very much the same. Good, very quick round is essential to him. He was no match for, ba- for Baida on good to soft at Longchamp. He was beaten by Palace Pier two lengths in the Marwa on good ground in France at Deauville. But to go back to his run at the British Cup last year, lightning quick round. He won at the Curragh Group 2 uh, back in July on similar conditions. I think this is ideal for him. Blinkers on, go for Johnny Velasquez on board. And unless they go crazy, I think Order of Australia has a great chance from Staltown.
0: And while we're talking about horses who excel in American turf races, it seems a very appropriate time to tell you about Oscar performance, the Kitten's Joy Stallion out of the theatrical mare Divine Actress uh, with our friends at Millridge Farm. He's a grade one winner at 2, 3 and 4, Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Champion and set the world record at four at one mile on the turf, one thirty one twenty three, and won all his races without race day medication and is enjoying a fine time of things with his yearlings. Now, yesterday saw the premiere of the much-anticipated short film The Fall. The brainchild of former jockey-turned-filmmaker Nathan Horrocks has co-directed this film with Cold Feet star Robert Bathurst, who we've spoken to on the podcast before. 10 o'clock Sky Sports Racing last night, Uh, I have been catching up with the lead in the film, uh, Daniel Thrace, who played the jockey Tom, and I asked him about his experience of making this and what he'd learnt from it.
5: Yeah, I think um, I mean the reaction has has been brilliant it actually, um, and I mean the, the experience was incredible um, from shooting at Ascot to to meeting a lot of the jockeys themselves and getting to speak to
0: them, and then I mean of course working with Nathan and, and Robert was uh, was a brilliant opportunity. You're absolutely brilliantly cast and extremely convincing as a rider. How much research did you do with the with the existing jockeys?
5: Um, well, me and Nathan uh, probably had the, uh, the most contact there. We went through uh, a lot of, of how it used to be for him um, when, he was, when he was riding and, and just sort of the pressures that were on him. Um, and, and on the day, you know, me and had the jockeys there getting to speak to them of what it was like, uh, the, the long journeys they have to do between races and all the, the sort of difficulties they have um, while still having to be focused um, was, was really insightful and really interesting to hear.
0: A lot has been made about this being a, a movie about uh, social media abuse, and that clearly is a, a key factor within it. But it it strikes me more that it, it's a it's a film about about isolation, about an, an unusual isolation in in the life of a of a top sportsman, and particularly a, a top rider.
5: It is, yeah, yeah. I think um, the film really highlights just how. How lonely it can be. I mean, the whole time, even, even in the locker room when he's surrounded by the, the jockeys, it's, it's, it's very much Tom on his own. Um, and then getting on in the car and, and having to do that long drive back while the sun goes down is, is just, I think, kind of a testament to, to just how lonely the
0: lifestyle can be. What challenges did this film present for you that perhaps other projects might not? Or how was it different?
5: I think that probably the biggest challenge was was just how hard hitting it was, um, particularly the, the the scene in the kitchen um, with you know with the with the contemplated suicide and, and, and getting down to sort of any kind of emotional level like that is, is always particularly difficult. Um, but it's it's also very rewarding once you've done it. It can be strangely therapeutic. Um, but but it's it's certainly a tough thing to
0: do. And, and trying to understand that kind of way of thinking uh, is uh, is is not an easy task. Danny, was the racing world completely alien to you or had you had a bit of experience of it?
5: Not completely alien. No, I, um, well, I grew up in York um, and actually just a few miles away from the race course there. So um, me and my dad, we'd, uh, we'd sometimes go and, and sneak down onto the cheap side and um, you know watch the races from the sidelines and, and maybe make a few bets as well.
0: And, and just tell me a little bit about the project you're working on at the moment.
5: Um, This project, uh, it's a a feature film in Grimsby, Uh, it's um, shot by a director, Jack Spring, Um, it's called Three Day Millionaire and it's kind of looking into the lives of of a few of the trawlers from Grimsby after they fall onto a little bit of hard luck and and, um, come up with a plan to to get their own back on, on their boss.
0: Now, you remember a couple of months ago on this podcast, we featured quite heavily the BBC Panorama documentary, which, however well or otherwise you think it happened to have been made, shone some light on some pretty dark practices in a Swindon based abattoir, many of which involved ex racehorses, both from England and mainly from, from Ireland, having been imported for that specific purpose. Jane, the British Horse Racing Authority has moved to make this a thing of the past. How have they done that?
1: Well, they- Nick, all horses who were entered to race in the UK will not be permitted to be sent to abattoirs to become part of the human food chain, and that obviously from January of next year. That's a major rule change by the BHA, a timely one, perhaps one that shouldn't have taken a panorama programme uh, to be instigated, but all the same, I don't think anybody will have any problems with it. And of course, there is a part two to that where all horses that, when they are going to the avatars, have to be euthanized humanely at home. Another, um, Another practice that probably should have been in force before now, but one that I don't think anybody will take issue with.
0: Racing Post writer Mark Boylan has unearthed a couple of interesting stories today. One of those is that horses in Ireland are still prohibited from competing in low-grade races in the UK as part of the COVID-19 protocols launched in October 2020. Now, the Director of Racing for Horse Racing Ireland, Jason Morris, has called for this to end, suggesting both that Irish low-grade horses need someone to race and that some of the field sizes in Britain need bolstering, so it would be good for everyone.
1: Yeah, I think it's ridiculous, and I'd love to know the BHA's justification for not changing the rule back. Between the two, the two nations, nearly all restrictions have been lifted at this stage. There should have been, of course, a time where you know a timeline where this rule would be readjusted back to normal and uh, the BHA feel no need to change it why justify that please because I don't see the reason why low-grade races should have small fields uh, excluding horses that want to run in them um, and make them more competitive and uh, I, I think it's just non-justifiable and ridiculous
0: the other story to do with Irish racing that Mark Boylan, the racing boast journalist, broke today, and I think this is an interesting one, is that Bernard Caldwell, the chief executive of the Irish Stable Staff Association, has suggested that the rules on leaving horses unattended in racecourse stable yards are nearly impossible to comply with. This, of course, was brought into sharp focus by the Charles Burns case. Do you agree with Bernard, Jane?
1: I do entirely agree with Bernard. In an ideal world, the rule sounds perfect. Never leave your horse unattended. It sounds ideal. But of course, we do not live in an ideal world. We live in an industry where we're everybody has staff sufficient to leave a horse unattended. A lot of trainers go racing on their own. And you have to get your saddle. You have to go to the bathroom. You have to get some food. The whole point of having cameras in every stable yard is to provide security so that you don't need to have somebody at the stable door at all times it is ridiculous to think that in this day and age that we can actually do that the rule is so nonsensical and out of touch with the real world that the person who obviously made the rule has never gone racing with a horse or at least in the in the modern times in the last couple of years we re- realized how a lot of trainers are struggling to get staff and pay staff to go racing. So I think it is nonsensical and out of touch with reality. Um, The whole point of getting cameras in is that you can provide uh, security and comfort so that people can leave their horse unattended, whether it is to get the saddle or get some lunch. Um, And that is something that needs to be done. It should have been done years ago. We had this conversation last January when the Viking Horde case was making headlines Get it done and look at the rule because it is not practical.
0: So it's Friday and I've been looking forward to this all week. The Thoroughbred Racing commentary post-ARC global Thoroughbred rankings. Right, just a couple of points to note. Torquato Tasso told you on Tuesday 44 up to 15 the ARC winner. Baid who runs next week steady at 13 and Chronogenesis has slipped down to 17, six places. There is not a Japanese representative in the top 10 now. We'll start at 11 because 11 is Adar down four for his arc performance. Stable companion Hurricane Lane is down five at 10 for the United States. Hard-earned up one at nine is Jackie's Warrior with seven Group 1 and 2 victories to his name. Up one at eight is Hot Rod Charlie bound for the Breeders' Cup Classic. Down one at seven Tanawa She could go to Del Mar for the turf. The United States at six is Knicks go up nine off the back of another imperious romp for trainer Brad Cox in the Lucas Classic at Churchill Downs. Now, here's the one that's got tongues wagging this week. Up five. At five, Zaki. Annabelle Neesham, trained formerly with Sir Michael Stout. There's an article about it in the Asian newspaper today. Runs tomorrow in Australia and could yet climb further. For Great Britain at four, Mishrif is down one, goes for the Champion Stakes next weekend. The United States Essential Quality, up one, will tell you why, at three. And steady at two, Palace Pier, looking for his swan song in the QE2 at Ascot on British Champions Day. And steady at one, but only just, is the now-retired St. Mark's Basilica, James Willoughby. What a sensational arc, not only in its execution, as we discussed on Monday, what it has now done to these rankings.
6: Now, the TRC global rankings algorithm has treated this result as if the winner had a lower bar to ascend to than everybody thought before the race. Because if a handicapped system continues to promote every winner above the existing elite without thinking the existing elite are actually not quite as good as everybody thought, it suffers a now very familiar problem that that many people in Britain who like jump racing will be familiar with, upward drift. So all that happens then is that human-controlled handicaps uh, systems that drift upwards, they have to artificially manipulate the population down again. TRC Global Rankings never has this problem because of making corrections like it has done to Hurricane Lane uh, and to Tarnawa, which is dropping them Effectively by a point in the ratings, but because the top 10 is so competitive and so closely matched, it's had quite a dramatic effect. But I would say, as the human who's overseeing this system, though never actually interfering with it, this is a completely automated system. The machine had Hurricane Lane, the former world number five, too high before, it's now down to 10, which I think is a lot more realistic. Tarnawa. She hasn't moved much at all, really, in truth. It's just that Nick's girl has leapfrogged her uh, for his very impressive win at uh, Churchill Downs. And so what we take from this arc is that there's one horse who's a lot better than everybody thought. But maybe what the machine is saying, at least, is that the existing elite in Europe, European middle distance running isn't quite as good as perhaps everybody thought. And thus the bar was slightly lower for the German horse.
0: James, I've been thinking about this this week. As humans, we're not that fond of admitting when we're wrong. This, right. this, this computer, the TRC computer, he or she absolutely loves to, to admit when they're wrong. That, that's what these are based on, isn't it? The computer is recalibrating, reappraising, reassessing the whole time.
6: And that's exactly what computers are good at. This, again, is a fully automated system and it works with some very powerful ranking maths. What it does is very simple to understand. It takes the entire results database, considering that races run more recently are more important, and it finds the set of rankings that has the most cogent ordering of horses over that database. So when you go back and you look at all the the results, you get the minimum number of so-called ranking violations. And a ranking violation is when a lower-ranked horse defeats a higher-ranked horse. Sometimes, when a race result is particularly shocking, as it was in the arc, that requires some revision of what's gone on in the past. And as you quite rightly say, human handicappers and human race analysts in general are not so fond of admitting they're wrong. Whereas a machine is just a dumb robot, it follows instructions. It will iterate billions and billions of times over the results, and if revisions need to be made, they will be made.
0: The other observation I'd make, James, about Torquato Tasso, I'd be interested to know what you think about this, is that first of all, the machine thought he was a better horse than everybody else did in the first place because he was ranked 44, which is pretty high. You know, you've got to be an elite caliber horse to get into the top 50. Yeah. And Probably. second, by popping him at 15. He's smack in the middle of this ridiculous binary argument as to whether the horse is either a superstar because he's beaten all these superstars or putative superstars or he's a flute winner of the arc because it was a bog. It's kind of gone right between the two extremes and seems to have adopted a fairly sensible position.
6: You've hit the nail on the head, Nick. That's exactly what optimization at the mathematical level does. It seeks to minimise the error across all possible cases. And that, as you say, is the median Uh, the median result that is the median conclusion not one extreme or the other which humans are fond of doing you get listen to when people say things like he's going to lose this race by a mile or he isn't in the same class as horse x people exaggerate their cases computers do the opposite they try to minimize their mistakes and if you hadn't put so much effort in yourself to understanding how these rankings well we couldn't have such fruitful conversations And other people who have made the same effort, and there's a ton of documentation on thoroughbredracing.com, if you want to work out how the machine does it, they find it just as satisfying. That's where computers really score over humans. As long as they're programmed adequately, rather than producing a result that is the consensus, they can produce a result which makes you think, because they are unbiased in their estimation.
0: What I quite like about it is when I I see a a horse at, Say, I mean, Take Zaki at five, for example, and I go, what? How can that be at five? And then you kind of try and unravel how this has happened. So go on, tell me me about Zaki, because he's, as I said, he's been the big talking point out of the rankings this week. We're not having that. We know about Zaki. He was the stout horse. He wasn't that good. And for some bizarre reason, he's just mopping up bad races in Australia.
6: Well, it's a similar argument to with Winks, I believe, which is that there is a very parochial view of racing, depending where you are on the world. We wouldn't be having this conversation if we were both Australians. We'd probably find it quite natural that Zaki was a really top horse because he's winning some of our best races very, very easily. His Hollandale stakes win, his Doomben Cup win, his, most recently his Underwood stakes romp. You can't do that kind of thing unless you're very, very good. We know that from the actual running times of these races. Now, what Zarky used to be for Sir Michael Stout is interesting, but let me give you another parallel example that should make it easy for people to understand that horses can quite naturally improve. What about, in the staying division, Trushan? Not so long ago, Trushan was beaten off 91. Look where he is now, he's in the mid-120s. No one looks at that and says, what's happened to Trushan? Has he been abducted by aliens or is Alan King doing something radically different with the horse? People understand that horses improve and make natural improvements, sometimes for different environments, different training systems, different ways of thinking. And I think underneath the bluster of Peter Moody's uh, discussion about this topic and whether Annabel Neesham, his current trainer, was a better trainer than Sir Michael Stoutler, which is something I don't subscribe to, obviously. But, Different trainers can, can get different things out of a horse. And Zaki, it's, it, you have to just be a denier to, to not to be impressed with what this horse is doing at the moment. He'll continue to do it. He's a very short, prohibitive
0: price for the cock's plate. He's, he's fives on to win another grade one tomorrow betting night.
6: Betting markets internationally, they're not fanciful. Horses don't go off at five to one on for the world's, one of the world's top racers or, or, or is priced at that at this stage. Or, you know, they'd be, be as short as Zaki is uh, this weekend, unless they are legitimate. And it's not like he's the world number one. He's got European horses at one, two, and four. So I think we're getting into some very parochial territory if we think that a horse who's romping his way through Australian grade group ones at the moment isn't anything other than a world top 10 horse.
0: I want to ask you about the American scene because we're getting more star American performers in this top ten. Essential quality has been a fixture and fitting and he's now crept his way up to number three rather stealthily. How's that happened?
6: Well, once again, this is form that's working out. I call it the Frankel effect. I'm not saying essential quality is Frankel. But when Frankel was around, we saw the hierarchical nature of thoroughbred race form, by which I mean that when Frankel beat a horse... And then Frankel wasn't around for that horse's next race. That horse would win and would win often a group one and would win well. And we're seeing the same thing with these American three-year-olds. There is a distinct hierarchy with essential quality at the top. And when we go back to the Kentucky Derby, for example, in which I believe essential quality was, was the best horse, he got a very wide trip. Medina Spirit won it amid much controversy. Mandaloon second, Hot Rod Charlie third. Essential quality fourth, the first four clear of the rest. I mean, what more can you get from a race like that? Four top notch three year olds who've carried all before them afterwards. And when Medina Spirit won the uh, Awesome Again last weekend by five lengths, in effect, he underlined how strong that form is once again. And the knock on effect of that is that the machine has gone back, iterated over that, raised that race by a point. And raised as a result, essential quality yet again in the rankings. And it's just to be hoped that this horse isn't over the top when the Breeders' Cup Classic is run. And if he doesn't do it, I hope Hot Rod Charlie does it, who's world number eight, who has been imperious in all his races since essential quality beat him in the Belmont Stakes. I hope we get that satisfactory Breeders' Cup Classic success. You'll be there, Nick. I hope you'll be welcoming home a horse that really sets a seal on what's been a fantastic three-year-old season on dirt in the US.
0: Well, I rather hope that one of his opponents is the horse immediately below him in the rankings, Mishrif, but (laughs) that's probably probably not going to happen. What is going to happen is he's going to run in the Champion Stakes next weekend, and John and Thady will be narrowing their eyes and fixing them On the target that is the number one spot with either Mishrif or Palace Pier because they're at four and two James what do either one of those two need to do to knock St Marks off the top spot because he now is powerless in retirement
6: absolutely victory for either of those two will do and this is the reason Mishrif's performance at York could have been a much improved effort Plenty of handicappers think that it was. From the computer's perspective, from the TRC computer's perspective, it refused to believe that Mishrith is now a better horse than St. Mark's Basilica who had beaten Mishrith in the Coral Eclipse. But the power of two, I've talked about that several times before on the show, if a horse does something once, it can be down to a track bias or the quality of its opponents on the day not being as strong as presumed or a particularly good ride or just a horse having the stars aligned in some way. But the statistics of this situation scream that if a horse does it twice, then it always has to be taken seriously. So if Mischief can confirm that improved showing from the Judd Monty International, then he's a very worthy world number one. And as far as Pallas Pierre's stablemate is concerned, six Group One or Group Two wins from seven tries He's the ultimate top-class chiseler. He never takes a race off, apart from when it's deep mud at Ascot. And he is a paragon of consistency. And if he wins again, he'll edge his way back to the number one slot that he's occupied for most of the 2021 European season.
0: James, thanks so much. There was loads to get in this week. Uh, Jane is still with me and she's got a tip for the weekend for you. Well, I think it's a
1: winner for both of us, Nick. Please, God. Um, the Phillies Mile is a very good race today, but we both like Concert Hall. She's had plenty of experience this year, and her most recent run in the Well Park was her best. Inspiral is going to be very hard to beat. Don't underestimate Magical Lagoon. Uh, Missa Le Onsen is a very good Philly as well, but the Phillies Mile is a good race. Aidan O'Brien targets good Philly at it, and this year it's Concert Hall.
0: Jane, thanks. Thank you for listening. I will be back on Monday morning. while well, I'll still be in Kentucky. And Charlotte will be here this evening from 9 o'clock with the Saturday edition for tomorrow. So we will see you then. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.